Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. I am the New York Daily News' NFL columnist and Giants beat writer. Growing in my beard during the Christmas season as Brian Dable shaves his for good luck, the Giants on the verge of a possible playoff berth would be their first since 2016. Kayvon Thibodeau taking a star turn in Washington. Daniel Jones playing well. Interesting that with the Jets, the other team that plays at MetLife Stadium, while Daniel Jones is asserting himself for the Giants as a franchise quarterback, Zach Wilson's time with gangrene is done. You cannot bench a quarterback, a number two overall pick like that twice in, what is it, three games and expect the team to suddenly start to have confidence in him after that performance. First, it was for Mike White. Then it was for Chris Streveler. You look at this team. You look at Robert Sala. He's trying to manage this the right way publicly. But the fact of the matter is, Zach Wilson will not be the Jets quarterback next season. Jimmy Garoppolo, probably a name that you should keep an eye on when it comes to the Jets trying to retool. Mike White, obviously a free agent. And you would expect that he'll get back in the lineup as soon as his rib and ribs are ready to go. Uh, But Jimmy G, keep an eye on him with relationships with Robert Sala and Mike McDaniel, uh, or I'm sorry, Mike LaFleur, I should say. Uh, Get those San Francisco guys kind of twisted up sometimes. But those relationships going back to the 49ers Super Bowl appearance obviously stuck in their minds for what Garoppolo can do, how he can manage a team. So keep an eye there. But I wanted to combine a little bit differently this week my Pat's picks on some of the games into the first segment, and then we'll get right into a 35-minute interview with Super Bowl champion Benny Fowler, who has a fantastic prediction for the Giants game in Minnesota and great insight into his top five wide receivers in the NFL that a GM would love to open under the Christmas tree. And we go around the league and talk about teams charging for playoff spots and about the officiating that really has a lot of people raising their eyebrows down the stretch. But want to take you to Bet Online. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NBA, NFL, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's all caps, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. And where I start with this week's lines brought to you by betonline.ag is my best bet of the week, the Cincinnati Bengals on the road, minus three and a half at the New England Patriots. The Bengals are just too hot. They've won six straight. Uh, the Patriots coming off a painful, gut-wrenching loss in Las Vegas. We don't have to relive it, but what a ridiculous uh, decision by Jacoby Myers. Kudos to him for standing up and and answering questions about it after the game. But just a brutal way for a Patriots team that is on the playoff bubble to lose a game that they should not have dropped. 
but the Bengals are just too hot. And frankly, I just don't think the Patriots and their offense can score with Joe Burrow and his offense. No NFL team has been able to recently. I think that continues in Foxborough. Uh, the, all my, all three of my picks this week's are actually favorites that I'm giving you all of my picks uh, against the spread for every game. As always go to, uh, my Instagram account at PL on NFL, and I will have my picks for every game against the spread, the San Francisco 49ers minus seven and a half hosting the Washington commanders. I've seen the commanders twice in the last two weeks, the last three weeks, the Giants defensive pass rush was too much for Washington in both games. The Niners defensive pass rush will decimate and dominate the commanders. It's going to be ugly. Uh, San Francisco has not missed a beat with Brock Purdy. They've won seven straight games and five of their seven wins in that streak have been blowouts, including uh, Purdy and the Niners blowing out Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then finally, my third and final pick for this week, the Miami Dolphins, Grateful to be back home, uh, minus four and a half against the Green Bay Packers. Obviously, anytime you see Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, your your first reaction and your instinct is to say, oh, well, no, they could score. And that's a that's a pretty big line. But frankly, I think the Dolphins, if you take the Packers here, I think it would be an overreaction a little bit to the Dolphins dropping three losses in three straight road games against the 49ers, the Chargers and the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the Dolphins played the Bills very well, uh, some questionable calls late in that game, and Buffalo earned that win. But the bottom line is the Dolphins, with three straight losses on the road, are going to be happy to be back home. And even though their defense might give something up against Green Bay, they're going to take what they want against that Packers defense. So those are my picks, and we're going to get right over now to my interview with Super Bowl champion Benny Fowler, who dishes on his top wide receivers in honor of the Giants going up against Jeff- Justin Jefferson at U.S. Bank Stadium on Christmas Eve. All right, welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. Christmas week edition, we are here with Super Bowl champion Benny Fowler back on the show. Benny, thanks for coming back. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, my man. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you as well. Talking Ball with Pat. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. So before we talk ball, I want to ask you about something about NFL players and locker rooms. So this week we see some cool gifts being exchanged. Me specifically in the Giants locker room. There was some secret Santa. David Sills got some Jordans. I think Dexter Lawrence got some tequila. Daniel Jones and Saquon gave the O-linemen some suits. Adoree Jackson and Julian Love gave the DBs a Nintendo Switch and a case to take on the road. So my question to you is, what's the coolest gift you ever got? in an NFL locker room around Christmas time? And what's the coolest gift you've ever seen exchanged when you were playing? Ah, that's, that's a hard one. Um, all the gifts, I mean, we did Secret Santa every year and every team that I've ever been on. So all the gifts were always super cool. I mean, you get Louis Vuitton luggage. I think I got that from Emmanuel Sanders. Um, <laughs> nice. You usually get some trips, you know, depending on who your quarterback is. Peyton got us some really nice gifts. Brandon McManus, he got us all like uh, Christmas suits, Christmas theme suits um, <laughs> that were super cool. Vaughn got us a super nice uh, travel bag. Vaughn always gave incredible gifts. Demarius gave incredible gifts. So, 
I can't say that one just really sticks out, sticks out, but it was just cool to see the fact that, you know, you got these NFL guys uh, exchanging gifts and still in the holiday spirit, regardless of, you know, if you're playing or not. So it was, um, it was cool. So that's a good answer too, about the guys who were the most generous as well. That's always interesting to see Von Miller, obviously big time name. The fact that he's given back, that's, uh, that's especially meaningful as well. <laughs> So well, the guys who always give give back have the biggest contracts. I think Vaughn, one year that I was playing, I think it was the year that he got his 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 deal in the summer. He gave the entire AFC West a bottle of wine. What? Like every yeah, the entire <laughs> AFC West, all teams, all staff. It was crazy, you know. So he is a super generous person, super big heart. <laughs> that is inc- wow! What an incredible story. Did you see the? Uh- the prank the Broncos and the Rams played on their players with the the fake Christmas jerseys. Did you come across that by yeah, any chance? I did. I did see that. I would, did see that. They should. You, they should have known that. Would was you fake. wear one of the? Would you wear one of those in a game? Like if if it wasn't a joke and they said no, we're really wearing this. Like would you wear it? Absolutely. It's an honor to play on Christmas Day, or like Christmas, or even do this. Like it's an honor to do it. It's no different than the NBA jerseys. Like. That's the right. The whole world is watching and you get to play the sport that you've been playing your whole life. Good answer, man. That's why you're the best. That's why guys love playing with you. (laughs) So here for Christmas season, I wanted to do, you know, in honor of, of course, your career as a wide receiver and the Giants going up against Minnesota Vikings and Justin Jefferson this week. I wanted to go over. Yeah, I don't know if you have a list or if you could come up with a list right here, but the five current NFL wide receivers that if you were a general manager, you would want to open them under your tree. Oh, this guy's on my team now. So your top five wide receivers. So, um, you know, Benny Fowler, who is at the top of the list for you right now? Well, let's start, you know, let's, you could start at five too, if you want, who are the top guys in the league right now? I I can't necessarily rank them just because quarterback system, it's all different to me. Um, but I can name five receivers that I would love to have, or I know any team would love to have. So obviously because the Giants are playing the Vikings this week, Justin Jefferson is obviously at the top of the list. Then you have an incredible dynamic player playmaker, like a Tyreek Hill who can run routes, who has some of the best hands in the league and who can take a two yard pass 80 yards or who can just catch an 80 yard pass. You don't find that unique talent and skill and how explosive and how talented he is. I would say Stefan Diggs in Buffalo, route tree, hands, um, making the big play at any point in time. I would say he really sticks out. So those three, oh, Devontae Adams, regardless of, you know, who's throwing him the ball. I mean, he's got to be, I think he has the most catches right now. Maybe not the most yards, but he's topping touchdowns, getting double teamed every week and beating the double team. So that's four. Um. And then let's see, you know, you have another top receiver in Miami with Waddle. Um, I think he's he's making his way to being a top receiver. I don't know if I would actually put him in the top five. I know he's top five in yards. Some other some other um, names to consider: um, AJ Brown, Jamar Chase, Mike Evans, Cooper Cup, even Amon Ross. St. Brown's had a big year. I would say AJ Brown, d- just dynamic, you know. Big body, big play guy, um, incredible hands, hands catcher, can catch in traffic, uh, extreme confidence. 
And then I would say Jamar Chase is, you know, honorable mention can be right in there. Just super dynamic. Um, I think he's a little bit of a cheat code because he's playing with his college quarterback. So like their rapport is incredible. If Cooper Cup was still playing right there, he's easily, yeah. easily in the top just because people know he's getting the ball. I mean, he's catching – he had to finish the year with 80, 80 70, 80 catches, and he missed he missed seven games. He's going to miss seven games or eight games. That's <laughs> <So. laughs> insane. It's insane. Um, I wanted to ask you specifically too about uh, – and you're, you're ahead of me, breaking down the guy's traits and all. I love it. But I, I was talking to Je- Justin Jefferson, or not Justin Jefferson, uh, Tony Jefferson, the giant safety in the locker room the other day. And he said that Justin Jefferson has, and I couldn't believe I heard this, but he said like he has some prime Odell qualities. And I, I've never heard that said about a, a receiver since Odell came in and what he did as a, you know, right away as a rookie. What about the, these two young guys, Chase and Jefferson, coming out of, college why why are they so good uniquely each and then why was why were both of them so good right away and it wasn't like it wasn't like once teams adjusted to them they stopped producing it's like they came right on the scene and it was bang i would say just where the game is now the ability to run routes the ability to understand separation the ability to have incredible footwork and i can kind of agree with tony jefferson in in that point you know I mean, even look at the career, look at the stats, look at the the catches. It's literally, I don't want to call him Odell 2.0 because Justin Jefferson has his own game. Mm -hmm. But in terms of dynamic playmaker, in terms of swag, in terms of the popular dance and being on the cover of Madden, it's literally the same thing. Mm. Odell came on the scene, came into New York, made the incredible catch. Um, You saw Justin Jefferson this year with an incredible catch against Buffalo. And then you see the gritty, I think Odell at the time, it was the whip dance. And, (laughs) you know, they just had these dynamic personalities and playmakers. I would say they also came into situations where they had stable quarterbacks and stable quarterbacks who knew how to throw, who could throw a catchable ball, who knew that they were the best player and would trust these guys, regardless of coverage, to go up there and make the play. Hmm. Um, Yards after the catch, route running ability, I would say, um, they're both super dynamic. I would say the one thing that I haven't seen from Justin Jefferson that Odell did really well was just run after the catch. Like if Odell was catching the slant, he was taking it to the house yeah, uh, in the first four years. Yeah, he was gone. So that's totally different. But even look at last week or a couple weeks ago, whatever it was, uh, Justin Jefferson having 223 yards in, in in the in the game. I think Odell had a similar game against the Ravens at home right. uh, with 200-something yards. So you you see – I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the same thing. Um, Dynamic playmakers catching the ball. Jamar Chase, similar in terms of, you know, he's playing with his college quarterback, which is incredible. He's not a Jarvis Landry type, but, you know, Jarvis and Odell came out at the same time. Um, uh, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, they're a year apart, but, you know, they both hit and have immediate success. Jamar Chase and Jarvis have that bigger body type in terms of, you know, catching in traffic and making incredible plays. I think Jamar Chase is more explosive than Jarvis, but, Mm. you know, they all come from LSU and these guys have had the blueprint in terms of Jarvis Landry and Odell came in right on the scene and made incredible plays. And now these two LSU receivers are doing the insane thing. So, but I'm going to give the biggest shout out to Russell Shepard because he's the one who, (laughs) you know, he was the highest recruit 
I think when I was coming out of high school, but who also played receiver at LSU with all those guys. And I'm going to say Russell Shepard taught them all. Big Shep. That's right. You know it. <laughs> and, and Tyke Tolbert, LSU's Tyke Tolbert as well. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. You know, Ch- Chase is funny to me, Benny, because I, I'm not looking at how tall he is right in front of me right now. But when I watch him play, he doesn't strike me at, like you said, he's a bigger guy who can take hits and catch in traffic. But it always fascinates me how much he dominates because I, I think of Jefferson as like this tall, long, lanky guy where even when he's covered, he's not. But Jamar still makes all those contested, tough, covered catches, and I just feel like he doesn't—he doesn't have the typical body that usually those long, lanky receivers do, who can make those plays. Is that—is that a fair characterization? Jamar Jamar Chase reminds me of Demarius, uh, the late great Demarius Thomas, in the way like a bigger body, like you see Jamar Chase last year against Ra- the Ravens and takes a slant to the house. You know, you wouldn't expect a Demarius Thomas to catch a two-yard tunnel screen and take it 80 yards. But yeah. I will say the way they use Jamar Chase is similar to the way they use Demarius when I was here in Denver. Brian Callahan was a quarterback's coach when I was here in Denver, who's now the OC in uh, Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. So they use it. I mean, the three play or the three receiver, three receiver sets, tight ends, it's similar to what we did when I had we had Demarius, Wes Welker, Emmanuel Sanders, and Julius Thomas, and and the two running backs we had um, with Peyton. So I know I know Callie's calling those plays, and I know he's leaning on Peyton. And it's it's I can I can see the concepts, and you it's hard to stop it when you have three dynamic playmakers. But Chase is that the Demarius of that offense. And just say, yeah, man, Demarius. I mean, when what? Why would a defense expect a guy who's built like a tank to run <laughs> that fast with the ball and be by you before you can blink? Right. Absolutely, what an incredible player. Uh, switching over to some playmakers that I've been covering here in New York. I mean, Benny, listen. Let's just be honest. Like, if there were a train going down the tracks, the Daniel Jones bandwagon, you would be the conductor from day one. Everybody jumped off. You were the one driving it, shoveling the coal into it when the fire was almost out, when nobody believed in this guy. Why is he still proving you right? What is he doing so well to protect the ball, to not turn it over, and to have the Giants on the verge of their first playoff berth since 2016? He has a coach that's calling plays to his strengths. Just, you know, it's just, it's purely that simple. He has a coach that is calling plays to his strengths, using his legs. And look, I mean, there's no substitute for experience. Like he, DJ is, you know, he's in his fourth year. Like the NFL is hard. Like look at Peyton's first couple of years. Like look at any of these quarterbacks first couple of years. But now, you know, DJ, Saquon, they're performing under pressure. They're doing incredible things. Saquon's leading when you have an incredible running back like Saquon who is so dynamic. And if you can establish a run and and, and be good up front, it's going to make, you know, things easier for DJ. And DJ can make all the throws. And we've seen that time in and time again. And, you know, him and Slayton are picking up right where you know, they left off last year, even the last couple of years when I first came or my second year in New York, you know, DJ and, and Slay were dynamic and now you're you're seeing that. So I would say that, you know, DJ's an incredible player. You don't get drafted in the top ten by that's you don't don't have flukes. Yes, you have busts and people who don't necessarily perform well, 
but you clearly have the talent if you get drafted in the top 10, like clearly, like, no doubt. Like there would there would have been plenty of people who would have picked him in the top 10. So with that being said, you know, like he's playing to his strengths and he's going to continue to play to his strengths. And um, the Giants, you know, they're on their way to the playoffs, I think. No, I think so too. I mean, Frank, as we record this, they have three games left. And even if they lose to Minnesota, one thing I feel like I've noticed, and you just hit on it, I think the Giants have enough of a coaching advantage now where it seems like they win the games, Benny, when the opposing coaching staff just doesn't have the experience and wherewithal that theirs does. Like it really seems pretty consistent and don't tell me Jeff Saturday is going to scheme up, you know, better than Brian Dable, Wink Martindale and Mike Kafka are when they play the Colts after the Vikings. And then the Eagles, they're probably going to be resting everybody in the final week. So like, it's conceivable the giants are going to have 10 wins now you know, going to San Francisco or going back to Minnesota, you know, obviously that wouldn't be easy, but given what Daniel has worked with and the, honestly, Benny, the pressure that he was under and the fact that this year was supposed to be, you know, playing out the string, it, it is just an incredible thing that he's done. I wanted to ask you in relation to what he's accomplished now, you know, this has been already a talking point, but it's going to be a huge one going into the off season is what do they do with Daniel on contract end? And in my opinion, it's there's no question he's earned more time here in New York. But if you're Daniel, I think the debate is more on what he should do. So, for example, they have one franchise tag to use. They could use it on Saquon. They could use it on Daniel. Obviously, if you tag a player, the player's tagged. You know, they have to play on it if you don't sign him to a long-term deal. But let's just hypothetically, Benny, say that they tag Saquon and they want to sign DJ but they don't want to give him you know market value for starting quarterbacks they want him to take like a bridge deal like a two or three year or let's say a three year deal at um you know 25 25 to 27 million where they can get out in year 3 should daniel accept a deal like that and view that as you know confirmation of what he's done or do you think that when a guy plays to the level he has here, that he should use every ounce of leverage and you know demand to be paid like a top half of the league starting quarterback, which is what he's played like? You know, I always leave things like that up to like an agent because I don't know. But if I was in DJ's shoes mm-hmm. with what I know and what I've seen and who I know him as a person, what I would do is like, yeah, if they offered me a three-year deal, 27 million i'm going to take it because i know with a couple of years in this system i'm only going to get better i already know i'm good i'm a very good quarterback and i've done a lot with a little mm. imagine what i can do build around me yeah give me, you know let's take this 27 million they'll give me three other receivers um bring back saquon and you give me a nice tight end and sure up the offensive line and then let's revisit this in two years Let's revisit this in two years, but I'll be making $27 million a year. I'll be playing in New York. But most importantly, I will be in a system that I know now uh, and a consistent system and somebody who's going to be here, a coach that's going to be here for the foreseeable future. And then I'm going to bet on myself. Mm. Like, yeah, I don't, I think I should be paid like a top half quarterback, top half of the league quarterback. But at the same time, look, build around me and then I'll go get, I'll, I'll go get that money. No, that's really well said because if there is any theme with Daniel's early career, it is 
constant turnover of offensive coordinators and the schemes and systems and offenses he's been running. And so that's a great point that you bring up that I think it really hasn't come out in the public discourse because everybody likes to talk the numbers, but that really is the, uh, a major thing to consider from his end, right? Is not only do does my current coaching staff have this high offensive acumen, but no one's been able to see what I can do when A, I get to build within the same system and B, when we add elite pieces or more elite pieces, if you, you know, if you already have the running back to that offense. So I think you, that's a, that's an excellent point you bring up. Um, the giants did score one of their most impressive wins of the season last week with some help from the officials. And I only bring that up, you know, <laughs> listen, they won the game, but I bring that up to steer towards, I wanted to ask you about player reactions to bad calls because roughing the passer, we know, has been a complete disaster like Jalen Phillips against the bills. You know, these referees, Benny are told to throw the flag. If there's any doubt, even if they're not sure it's a foul, they're told to throw the flag. And then Washington at the goal line, you know, Terry McLaurin gets called for a legal formation, even though he checked with the ref Um, Darnay Holmes doesn't get called for DPI in the end zone. I'm just listing all these examples because I wanted to ask you how difficult is it as a player on a down-to-down and week-to-week basis to stomach bad officiating calls? Are guys good at kind of blocking it out, or does it become a thing that is hard to let go of, especially when it doesn't go your way? I I would say you don't pay attention to it until it really affects you. Like, you know, Washington fighting for a playoff berth, like, you know, that – that's going to be hard to let go, especially because like these calls are like so blatant, like that was clearly pass interference, mm-hmm. regardless of what people say, regardless if you're a Giants fan or not, that's pass interference. And then you saw the ref confirmed with Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin doesn't mess. He doesn't mess it up. He does that every play. Right. So, um, you know, things like that are just, they're, they're insane. They're ridiculous. So <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't let it go if I was getting ready to try to play in the playoffs, you know, like that, that is, that costs a, a playoff game. That costs us, you know, something at the end of the game. So, yeah, that would definitely bother me. Um, but it's, it's starting to get a little out of hand now. It, it really is, especially especially when it happens, like you said, at the end of games, late in seasons to teams that are trying to fight for playoff spots. And the tricky thing, Benny, too, is like, you know, and I, I don't know how much this crosses the mind of players. I mean, this would be another question for you. But now that the NFL has these official, you know, they're affiliated and partnered with FanDuel and DraftKings and obviously the legalized gambling on your phone in a lot of these states now. And so it's never been more prevalent. It really is a um, a slippery slope, I think, from the standpoint of, you know, one, wondering, wondering if the ends of these games and the calls that are being made, like, is is there, has there never been more to lose? Um, like from a player standpoint, do you guys follow that, that more is being wagered, that there's more at stake and that, you know, do, do you, do guys, would guys let them, their minds go there thinking about like, man, who was that ref who made that call? You know, why, why did he make that? You know? Ah. You know, I've had more talks about this in NBA stuff, not NFL stuff, but on the outside looking in now that I'm completely retired. I mean, that it makes a lot of sense. It reminds me of that Buffalo Wild Wings commercial where they press the button to make it go into overtime or something ridiculous happens so people can stay at Buffalo Wild Wings longer. So, I mean, 
you know, it's just kind of crazy to think about. And, you know, you, you, you're always going to wonder, but, you know, yeah. I don't have time to even think about that. But it's it's crazy. I would think about it if I was still playing for sure. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and I, I personally think it's been augmented by the fact that, and you and I have talked about this, but parody has never been, it's at an all time high right now where like any team can win any game in any week. And so, you know, like you watch that red zone channel, you'll be watching the one o'clock games and the guy running, it'll say all eight games are within one score within six minutes with six minutes left in the fourth quarter. And like, that's great and exciting. But then every bad call at the end of every game gets magnified and people freak out, especially like when you said, when it's jumped the shark. Um, but continue. All NFL games have always been like that, though. Most games are decided by one score in the league every every week. Most games. Hmm. Yeah. So it's- I think I think that's that's it. every team that I've played with has kind of said that. Even if like you know, when I, I bring this example up, but like, even when I was in high school or like, you know, just noticing the lions, the lions, you know, they could be losing by 21, but they always end up losing by seven. Or <laughs> even when I was playing in New York, you know, we would always make furious comebacks and end up losing. You know, most games are decided by one score. Interesting. Yeah. To use another NBA example, that was, I was just talking to a friend the other day. What was it? The game that was on, it was uh nuggets, grizzlies maybe or something. And, you know, the score is like 40 to 18 in the late first quarter. And I'm like, well, you know, this game will be tied midway through the third, <laughs> you know, because right. everybody's good and everybody's great. And like people go on runs, right? Like that, that's just how it happens. You don't, you don't hold down professionals for too long. Um, but no. c- continuing on the theme of parody, Benny, we, we have um, an exciting kind of fight to the finish here down the stretch. And you and I have talked throughout the season about, which teams we think are the front runners, uh, which teams uh, are getting hot at the right time, and who can make noise really when the games matter come postseason. And I wanted to ask you about two teams that are among the hottest in the league and where you think they end up. So the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, they are coming off a beatdown of a pathetic, frankly, uh, New York Jets team on Thursday Night Football, and they are scorching hot, possibly – trying to catch the Titans for their division. And then you have the Detroit Lions who conceivably could win out to get a playoff spot. Wondering what you see in both of those two teams that is making them play so well and whether you think they can finish the job and get in and make some noise. Leadership. I would say leadership. Dan Campbell has those guys playing extremely hard. He has them believing uh, I, and the office coordinator for Detroit is just doing a masterful job. So, yeah, I ben think Johnson, you know, this, yeah, scoring a lot of points. But I would say leadership. It always comes from the top down when you see teams fighting the way they're fighting, um, and they're a super dangerous team. And you know, they threw the swing pass or the the pass in the flat to an offensive lineman. You know, they're 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 playing to win. They're not playing not to lose. So they're playing to win. Hmm. Jacksonville, the same thing. You have a Doug Peterson. You have a coach who you believe in and that you want to fight for. Totally different than an Urban Meyer. You don't want to fight for him at all, but a Doug Peterson, you want to run through a wall for. He believes his system is now getting into place. Trevor Lawrence is looking more comfortable. He's looking like the first pick of the draft. So I would say, I don't know if they'll get in, Hmm. um, but, you know, they're exciting teams. And it's good to see like Jacksonville and Detroit doing well. You don't want them to always be at the bottom of the league. You want to see teams do well and, for me, it's awesome. It's a, 
you know, in terms of Detroit doing well, because my mom is happy. She's been happy like the last six weeks. You know, my mom's a huge Lions fan. I'm not a Lions fan because I played for different teams, but for my mom, like it, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you have you been to a couple games this season? I went to one Detroit game. I took her to one Detroit game when they played Miami. So the only one that I took her to one, they lost. And then they bought, they won six out of the last seven after that. <laughs> uh, for teams like this too, Betty, I, I've had conversations with people in the league about because practice time is shortened throughout the off seasons. Now, a lot of coaches and players will tell you, you know, don't judge us as a team until week six, right? Like, well, we're still working through who we are until mid season. Practically. Is that, is that a real thing? Like it, is it hard to develop an identity early into the season, especially with kind of the reduced practice time throughout the off seasons now? Yeah, I would say that. I would say the way training camp is done. And I would also say, it, you know, depending on where your quarterback is, who your quarterback is, you know, you know, you know who Kansas City is going to be, you know, who Buffalo is going to be. Mm. You know, who Tampa is going to be. Well, not necessarily this year, but, you know, you know, Tom Brady, like, those top five quarterbacks in the league, you pretty much know, like they'll establish their identity, but they can get off to fast starts because of their quarterback play with everybody else. Yeah. Till, till about week six or even to like right before Thanksgiving, you know, you'll, they'll know and you'll figure out who they really are and see what type of identity they have. And then you people go on these runs after Thanksgiving and, then you'll really get a clear uh, shot of who they are, but maybe not this year. I don't know who's going to win it this year because, like, you know, the Vikings. You know, I think they've won eleven games, but they were down thirty-three to nothing. Like, you know, you don't you don't know. So, you know, this is this is a really weird season. So you lead me right into you know, depending on your quarterback, that's how the team forges identity. So, the natural question is: Are the San Francisco Forty ers a team that can win the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy as their quarterback. I put it to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Their defense is their defense reminds me of the defense that we had uh when we won the Super Bowl. Peyton was definitely not the Peyton Manning of old. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was able to make incredible plays in the postseason and our defense kind of carried us. You know, and we had we had got to the point where our defense was just like, if you guys score 17, we'll win. Like, and I think that's where San Fran is. If you score 17 points, if you score 20 points, we'll win the game. Like, so that's insane. That's kind of where they are, you know, and they don't have to blitz. They have a great pass rush. They have best middle linebacker. They play incredible um, in the back end in terms of their safeties that, you know, and they got incredible leadership and Brock Purdy, you know, I don't want to call him like the next anything, but this is a situation where like you had uh, Drew Bledsoe get hurt hurts his shoulder and then Tom Brady comes in and the rest is history. I'm not going to say that Brock Purdy's on that way or on that, that, that train, but like, I mean, he kind of stepped in the last two weeks and the office has never looked better. So you're not saying it, but you're not, not saying it. <laughs> well, you never know. Cause yeah. Tom Brady's been playing for 23 years, yeah, but I know I'm just kidding. like they clearly, the team clearly and the coach, they clearly believe in this kid. Like they're not like, oh, hey, we got to run the ball. Like he's throwing the ball down the field. Definitely. And um, somebody brought up the other day, might have been Michael Silver, but it was that, and I hadn't thought of it this way too, but remember in camp when Jimmy was essentially one foot out the door and they were trying to trade him and waiting to trade him, he wasn't, remember he wasn't really practicing with them. 
And so mm-hmm. Lance was QB one, but then Purdy was QB two, getting a ton of reps in camp. And yeah. in hindsight, you know, not all of us were watching the wrong thing. <laughs> you know, you never know how it's going to yeah. go with injuries, but as you know, like I got usually your third and fourth string quarterbacks. I mean, they're talking in the locker room like I'd, I'd be lucky if I get five snaps today with a with a real offense and defense, right? It's probably going to be more like three. So to me, that sounds like, you know, invaluable and uh, and uncommon experience for a young guy to get going into a year where he had to be, he had to be the man eventually. Right. Yeah. No, it's uh shout out to Kyle Shanahan. We will see though, but they have, they have the defense, they have the swagger and they have, you know, they got incredible leadership. I was in San Francisco last year for training camp and John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are on the same page. So it'll be interesting to see. That's amazing that you say that you, that you give their defense enough credit to compare them to your Broncos Super Bowl D. Cause that, I mean, I won't, I won't say they're better than they're, but they're up there yeah. with us. I mean, we, our Super Bowl defense was, you know, we, they were scoring touchdowns like almost every other week. So <laughs> I don't know if San Fran's on that, but like San Fran is, is pretty close to that. No, I get it. Um, another QB question. The Eagles have lost Jalen Hurts for a little bit. And obviously they've had a great season and and they're in. But as far as clinching goes, they have a few games left, including Christmas Eve against the Dallas Cowboys with Gardner Minshew at QB. And Benny, I I, got to be honest, I don't like the public rhetoric that the Eagles are so good that they're not really going to miss Jalen Hurts. Like, I don't agree with that. But um, I wonder if I'm just being defensive of a quarterback who's been criticized often. Like, do you... Do you think that Minshew and the Eagles offense doesn't miss a beat against a good team in the Cowboys? Or do you agree with me that kind of Hurts is going to be appreciated a little more after this game? I think he'll be appreciated more because of just how dynamic he actually is as a playmaker, for sure. I don't know enough about Minshew to say that, you know, he's playing in Jacksonville and then he went one and one last year, but – I know Nick Sirianni is a, a hell of a coach and he's a great leader. So Minshew will step right in and their defense is also so good that Minshew will have a lot of opportunities to go out there and play quarterback. It's not like, you know, their defense is going to be, their defense is going to give him plenty of opportunities. There are going to be some three and outs. They might get some turnovers against the Cowboys to where a Minshew, Minshew mania will have opportunities to go out there and make some plays. So and then they also have, you know, Sanders, Miles Sanders. They got eight Pro Bowlers on their team, so like he'll have he'll be throwing to some really dynamic people. So I'm not, gonna, but they will miss Jalen Hurts. I mean, you can look at you know the way he ran the ball last week and then throwing the ball. You're gonna he's gonna be he probably be the MVP of the league. So they'll miss him for sure. He should be man. And shifting uh, to local to you and out of the playoff picture, but you know I know you always have kind of your finger on the pulse of what's going on in Denver. How are the how are the Broncos playing out the string here down the stretch? Obviously, an incredibly uh, disappointing season. Um, you know, Russell Wilson with the with the concussion, uh, but Hackett has really struggled to kind of get his hands around this whole thing. Where does that organization stand looking towards the offseason in your mind, and kind of uh, from a stability and uh, decision making standpoint? I'll be curious to see what the, the Broncos owners do. Like, you know, if they let go of Hackett, then, you know, you're starting over from scratch, so it's not going to be stable. Who do you get to come in here and really work with Russell Wilson? Um, 
to me, Russell Wilson's got to go back to operating from a place of strength. You're not a pocket QB. You never really have been. You've been a dynamic playmaker who makes plays on the run. It's like it's no different than a Patrick Mahomes in terms of Patrick Mahomes is like, you know, he's a playmaker. He likes to roll out. He likes to do certain things, you know, even if the pocket is clean, you know, Patrick Mahomes likes to roll out sometimes still. So I'd like to see Russell Wilson get back to that. And what does that look like? But they've also not been healthy um, all year. Losing Tim Patrick in training camp, huge blow. Corlin Sutton's been hurt. Judy's been hurt. KJ Hamler's been hurt. Uh, all the people they need to throw the ball to that he needs to throw the ball to have been hurt. So there's a whole bunch of different things um, in terms of that. Their defense has been playing super well and they get a lot of praise, but they got to get turnovers. Like, you know, they compare it, you know, that's one of those things that, yo, we're top numbers and in, in our defense has the top numbers and we're top five this, top five this, or top ten this, but you have no turnovers. So, like, that doesn't even make any sense or you're not scoring any touchdowns. Hmm. So, that's one of those things that, you know, can't always believe the numbers, even though, yeah, Justin Simmons got a couple picks yesterday, so shout out, or last week, so shout out to him. But, I don't know. It's it's always going to start from the top. This ownership group came in after all the trades and coaches have been hired. So I'd be curious to see if they lean on guys like Peyton and Elway to help them right the ship out here. Hmm. Um, but it's going to be tough, like because you know you're in a division where you got two of the best young quarterbacks in the league that aren't going anywhere. <laughs> right. So does this become a destination city slash division to play in? Hmm. Don't know. A lot of things to think about. I want to close with a question about so the Giants are going into Minnesota, and I've covered a game there once, and it was the loudest stadium I've been in. It's obviously relatively new, um, and also one of the best atmospheres I've been in. But I wanted to ask what what is the loudest stadium and environment you have ever played in? Kansas City Thursday night, twenty fifteen. Saves so our second second game of the season. The Kansas City Broncos have an incredible rivalry. Everybody, you know, they didn't like Peyton. They wanted to make sure he couldn't hear or we couldn't hear as a team. Eric Berry was coming, had just defeated cancer, and it was his first home game. It was insane. Uh, couldn't hear anything. Couldn't hear people standing right next to him. So, uh, right next to me, it was like <laughs> we were in the huddle, and like Peyton was still doing signals, like in the huddle, because couldn't. People who were like right here couldn't hear anything. It was crazy. So funny you say that because I've had people tell me that before, and it's so funny to me, or it's a you know it's impressive for the Chiefs fandom that there's all these domes that are so loud, and that Kansas City always comes up as among, if not the loudest, that players have played in. That is fascinating. Yeah, it's insane. Benny, it's you're insane. the best. Thank you always <laughs> for joining us on Talking Ball. Uh, again, have a Merry Christmas. Um, Happy New Year if I don't talk to you off camera and looking forward to hopefully coming coming back with you on here to talk postseason football, not just in the NFL, but here in New York as well. So thank you as always. Give me uh, give me Saquon for 150 rushing yards and two touchdowns against the Vikings. Whoa, big, game, big, big game, Saquon. Let's go. Like I think. I love it. And yeah. you give me, give me Saquon for 150 plus. Jeez. Oh, now, now you you got my mind working on the comeback player of the year because like Geno Smith has had a great year in that regard. Saquon started great. 
you know, their running game has kind of slowed a little bit, but if he had a game like that late in the year to help them clinch a playoff berth, 150 and two touchdowns. You heard it here first from Benny Fowler. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.